Good morning. I hope that you're all doing well today. I'm glad to be here with you today. I'm thankful for your good pastor, Steve, uh, inviting me to come and minister the word to you this morning. I've been here a few times before, if, if you remember. Um, I'm married. I have four little kids. They had some commitments at our home church this morning, so I'm, I'm here by myself, but uh, that's a little bit about me. Uh, we're members at First Baptist Church of Columbia, but I'm excited to be with you here this morning, and, and thank you, Brother Greg, for the, the worship this morning and leading us, and uh, just had a wonderful time so far in the Lord's house, but it doesn't stop there. We've got more work to do. And so if you will open your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 5, we need to move quickly this morning. I was told I only have 90 minutes until the first intermission. There's three intermissions. So. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. We're really going to look at a message of hope for the hopeless. That's really what this story is about. Look, beginning in verse 25. It said, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's your, it's your word that reveals to us who you are, reveals to us your characteristics, your will for our lives. It tells us of our Savior. It tells us the good news of the gospel. It convicts, and it encourages, and it corrects us, and it draws us into a relationship with you. We're so thankful that we have your word. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would add your blessing to your word. That you might work in our hearts through your word this morning. We pray and we ask that you would send your presence to fill this place. That you would be glorified, that you would be magnified, that Jesus would be exalted and loved and cherished this morning. Help us, Father, as we read your word and study it, to draw closer to you, to learn truth about you. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Well, we come this morning to a passage in the Bible which 
is a picture of both incredible despair and an unfathomable hope, all rooted in a reckless faith. We're going to see that this morning. It's a story of hope for the hopeless. We're told of a woman with an ailment that the scriptures define only as a flow of blood. We don't know exactly what this ailment was, but it's safe to say it was some sort of reproductive issue, a feminine issue. As a matter of fact, we don't really know much about this woman at all. We're never given her name. We don't know anything about her past other than the fact that for the last 12 years she's faced this issue, this medical struggle. And so we're just kind of left to wonder, who was she? Where was she from? What was her name? Did she have any family? What, what was her story before all of this? It's probably safe to assume that given the nature of her disease, she probably never married, and she certainly didn't have any children. And so she more than likely spent much of her life scared and alone. It's also very likely that nothing in this poor woman's life had ever come easy. She'd had a hard go at it. And even now, her own story uh, recorded in the Scripture, it almost takes place in the middle of someone else's story. You see, Jesus is on the move when this story begins. In verse 21, we're told that Jesus had just crossed over the sea back into Galilee, and immediately the crowds were on him. I mean, he, he couldn't even get off the boat, and people were there trying to get his attention. One of these people was a man named Jairus. He was a leader in the synagogue, a powerful man, a man of position. And he beckons Jesus. He tells of his daughter who is sick. And he says, Jesus, you've got to come and heal my daughter. And so not three seconds after Jesus arrives on shore, he's on the move. He's going to this man's house. With great haste, they're, they're heading to Jairus' house because time was of the essence. And so we don't know how long this poor woman waited for Jesus. She might have been waiting for days, waiting for him to come back across the sea, waiting to get her chance to meet him. And it's almost as if it's already passing her by. The moment Jesus gets off the boat, he's on the move to help someone else. Her heart had to sink watching Jesus go off so quickly with Jairus and his entourage. I can imagine her internal struggle what do I do? She probably thought to herself. Here was her one chance to have a meeting with Jesus, and it was about to pass her by. Do I interrupt him? Do I sort of elbow my way through the crowd? Say I do go up to him, will he even have time for me? I can imagine her breathing getting short and quick, her, her palms getting sweaty, and that hot, nervous feeling washing over her as she was trying to decide what to do. And finally, she decides in her heart, I don't even need to talk to him. If I only touch his clothes, I'll be healed. If what they say about this man is true, then just his touch is enough to heal me. That was her profession of faith. And so she, she kind of elbows her way through the crowd, and she reaches out, and with a trembling hand, she grabs hold of Jesus' cloak, and the healing, we're told, was instant. She knew it right away that she was cured, she was healed, and Jesus knew it too, right away. 
This woman's faith had had activated his healing power and he knew it. Jesus had felt many touches as he passed through the crowd, people uh, bumping into him, people grabbing for him, but this touch was different. This was the touch of faith. And so Jesus asks, who touched me? I don't believe he asks so he didn't, because he didn't know. I don't believe he asks um, so that he could yell at the person or condemn the person. I think that he asked so that he could meet this person face to face and begin a relationship so that she could gaze into the face of the one who saved her, who healed her, and begin a relationship. And so he asked, who touched me? And trembling, once again, the woman comes and she falls on her face in front of Jesus and she confesses, I'm the one who touched you. And so Jesus responds, not with anger or condemnation, but with love as he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What a loving response to this woman who uh, throughout her entire life had probably never received any love like that, who probably hadn't received much love from anyone else. No one had ever called her daughter, maybe her own parents, but certainly no one else had ever called her daughter, which was an enduring term that Jesus used to communicate that he loved her, that he valued her, that she was a child of the king. She had probably been called many things, cursed, a sinner, a beggar, unclean, but certainly never a daughter. And yet that's ultimately who she is. She is a treasured daughter of the king. And so this is a wonderful, true story of redemption for for someone who the world considered unlovely, someone that the world didn't care for, someone who was an outcast. And I'll just say this quickly before we move on and and dive a little deeper into the story. But this woman's story can be your story too. This can be your story this morning. You may be here this morning or, or watching on the live stream. I'm told there's a live stream. And you may be thinking that God doesn't have time for someone like you. You may be thinking that, well, I don't have any need like this woman had. I don't, I don't have need of physical healing. But your heart is diseased with sin. And that is a disease that only Jesus can heal. You need spiritual healing, if not physical. So take hold of the opportunity this morning to reach your trembling hand out to Jesus as the woman did, asking him to forgive you of your sin and to heal your heart, and you will be met with the same loving response of forgiveness and acceptance by God. If Jesus will stop in his tracks as he is walking with this powerful ruler of the synagogue, if he has time for a lonely beggar woman, then certainly he has time for you this morning. God has time for you. He is ready to listen to you. So keeping all of that in mind, let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into the story, and I want to explore uh, three key points that I see in this story this morning. The first one is this. This woman's life before Jesus 
is a picture of complete hopelessness. This woman's life before Jesus is a picture of complete hopelessness. Look, look again in, in verse 25. It says this, and she, excuse me, I'm on the wrong page, sorry. Verse 25 of chapter 5. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was broke and was no better, but rather grew worse. So here is a woman who, as a young girl, probably like most of us, had dreams. She probably dreamed of meeting her Prince Charming, getting married, maybe raising a family, having children, and growing old surrounded by her children and loved ones. She had dreams just like all of us. And then one day, just like that, all of her dreams were gone. One day she started bleeding, and just like that, everything that she had hoped to get out of this life had vanished. It was gone. Some of you may be here this morning, and you may be like this woman in the sense that maybe it was one phone call that changed your life. Maybe it was one diagnosis. Maybe it was one moment in your life that changed everything and robbed you of the dreams that you had for your life. One moment in your life that sapped away all of your hope and left you in despair. This woman had tried everything, the scriptures tells us, and she looked everywhere in the world. She tried everything the world had to offer. She looked everywhere for even a shred of hope, even just a little bit of hope. She had been to every doctor. She had been examined by every medical specialist. She had been a part of every clinical trial. Not only did it not help, but in the end, she was actually worse off than when she began. Her, her disease was worse. Her, her condition, whatever this ailment was, was worse. And on top of it, she was broke. She had nothing left. She had paid all that she had. She had nothing left. It's hard to remain hopeful when none of the medical treatments have worked. And in fact, you've only gotten worse. Isn't that right? Some of you may be dealing with that this morning. You may have family members who are dealing with that. The, the treatments aren't working and things are just getting worse. It's hard to remain hopeful when that's the case. And so here she was. She was broke. Her condition was even worse than when she started. And even more than that, the physical pain of her disease and the fact that she couldn't have children were devastating. Yes, that's true. But, but possibly even worse than that was the fact that as far as society was concerned, she was considered unclean. She was an outcast. The fact that her disease involved a discharge of blood meant that under the Levitical law, she was unclean. That's who she was. That signified her life, unclean. She was uh, legally disqualified for marriage. She was not able to meet together with God's people and worship God in the temple. And anything or any person that she touched would also be considered unclean. And so she was an outcast. She was the lowest of low. And with every failed treatment, she fell further and further into hopelessness. She had tried everything and nothing had worked and she was worse off than when she started. Her life was full of despair and hopelessness. 
on April 18, 2017, an article appeared in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch titled this, Deaths of Despair, catch that phrase, Deaths of Despair Stalk Millennials in an Unforgiving Job Market. This article goes on to describe the increase in suicide rates among millennials and the increase in drug overdose deaths and the increase in alcohol-related deaths. Many of the millennials uh, featured in this article, they're graduating college and they're absolutely saddled in debt. They can't find a good job and steadily they begin to lose hope. And because it hurts so bad, they turn to drugs, because that's what drugs do. They make you numb. They make you so you can't hurt anymore. They make you so you don't feel the pain. They turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol. They turn to anything they think that can help them and anything they can find to numb the pain, but ultimately they're just falling further and further into despair and hopelessness until they overdose or, God forbid, commit suicide. It's really a tragic article, and it captures what is happening on a, on a grand scale nationwide as people are coping with the loss of the dreams that they had for their lives and turning to everything that the world has to offer to try and cope with the pain. And the article also mentions that millennials, just in general, are less likely to, to belong to a church or any type of social organization, so that when they suffer, they suffer alone. They, they feel isolated. They feel disconnected and alone in their suffering. There's not someone there with them. Sue Johnson, the mother of 22-year-old Ryan Johnson, featured in the article, Ryan Johnson died of a heroin overdose on June 28, 2014. This is what his mother said about her son's death. He just saw his life as not what he wanted it to be, and he didn't know how to get it there. He lost hope. He saw his life as not what he wanted it to be, and he didn't know how to get it there. Is that you this morning? Do you feel isolated and alone with nowhere to turn? Is your life not what you wanted it to be, and you don't know how to make it what you wanted it to be, how to get it there? You may be here this morning, you may be thinking, well, I don't have anything in common with the woman in this story, but yes, you do. This story speaks exactly to the same hopelessness and isolation that plagues us today. The woman in the story is like so many of us today. We can all relate to this woman's story, can't we? We all need healing, maybe not physically, but certainly spiritually. You see, this story, it, it perfectly illustrates the spiritual condition of our hearts. Each and every one of us are born into sin. Sin is simply rebellion against God. It's a desire to do the opposite of what God wants us to do. And ever since we're old enough to walk and talk, we want to do our own thing. And the Bible teaches us that sin only leads to pain, it only leads to suffering, and ultimately death, not only physically, but also eternally, as those who die without having their sin taken away and a relationship with God restored, go out into eternity forever separated from him in hell. That's what the Bible tells us of our sin. And each and every one of us, before 
we came to know Jesus, we all tried everything that the world had to offer trying to find a way to somehow take away the pain of our sin disease. Some of you are here this morning or you're you're watching and you've tried everything that the world has to offer to take away the pain of your sin. You've sought healing at the bottom of every bottle of alcohol. You've pricked your skin with needles containing every type of drug. You've let your heart wander after every perverted image on the internet. You've had a plethora of meaningless, empty relationships. You've tried everything that you can think of to take away the pain in your heart. And I'm here to tell you this morning that nothing this world offers can do that for you. The only one who can take your pain away, who can forgive the wrong that you've committed against God, is the very Son of God who spilled out his blood for you on the cross so that you might be rescued from the trappings of this world and that your broken, pain-filled heart might find healing. Nothing that this world offers will satisfy the longing of your soul. The culture has lied to us. Having more money won't fix anything. Having a better job, having more stuff, that new car, that bigger house, earning more degrees, education, none of that will rescue you from the feelings of hopelessness that you have. We've got to be honest with ourselves here. We've got to stop hiding behind the the happy emojis that we put all over Facebook as a cover for what we really feel on the inside, which apart from Christ is only dread and despair. We're told that money is supposed to make everything better. And here in America, we've got more money than anybody else. As a matter of fact, America makes up, the the wealth in America makes up almost half of the entire world's wealth. We are rich beyond our wildest dreams. So the question is, if America is so wealthy, and according to our Facebook statuses, we're so happy, and money is supposed to fix all of our problems, then why is divorce the highest it's ever been? Why is the suicide rate the highest it's ever been? Why are drug overdose deaths on the sharp rise? Why is everyone struggling with the feelings of hopelessness? We're drowning in our riches, and it's doing nothing to help our souls. And it's because we've traded the truth of God for a lie that these material things will somehow make us happy and they won't. The reason you feel empty and hopeless inside is because your heart is sick with sin and it needs to be healed by Jesus. The woman in our story had tried everything. She tried everything the world has to offer and not only did it not help, she was left hopeless She was left in despair. She was left utterly lost and alone. And that's what the world will do to you. It'll chew you up and spit you out, and you'll be worse off than before you ever sought counsel in the world's ways. Her life was a picture of hopelessness. But thank God the story doesn't end there. Amen? That brings us to the second key point I want us to see this morning in our passage. It's this. Meeting Jesus makes all the difference. Meeting Jesus makes all the difference. Look again, beginning in verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus, 
and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Everything about this woman's life changed the moment she met Jesus. Thank God that she had heard the reports about him. The the scripture tells us that she had heard that he had healed others. She had heard uh, that Jesus was able to do things that no one else could do. And she knew that he was her last hope. She had tried everything else, else. This man named Jesus was her last and final hope. And by the way, beloved Christian, never minimize the impact of your testimony. Please never make that mistake. Never think that you don't have a story to tell. If it weren't for the testimonies of the other people who had met and been forever changed by Jesus, then this woman would have never pursued him. She wouldn't have known who he was. And the same is true for us. There are many people out there who you may not even know who you may never even meet, who based on your testimony will come to love and serve Jesus. I really believe that. If you've met Jesus like the woman in the story did and he has changed everything about your life, then you have a story to tell. And your story just may be the very vehicle that God uses to draw other hurting and sick people to himself, just like you once were. And it's maybe the vehicle he uses to to draw them to a relationship with himself, to cleanse them of their sin, just as he has cleansed you. So I urge you, keep telling your story. And yet, this woman had to act. She had to act on what she heard. It took faith on her behalf. It wasn't enough to just hear that Jesus had healed others. She needed to act, and she needed to go to him so that she could be healed too. The same is true for us this morning. It's not enough for us to simply know about Jesus and what he's done for others. You need to have a personal experience with him as you bow your heart to him and ask him to simply heal and forgive you. You need to go and meet with Jesus. You need to act by trusting in the good news of the gospel because meeting Jesus makes all the difference. If you will simply believe that what the Bible says about Jesus is true, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect and sinless life on this earth and that he died on the cross spilling out his blood for your sin, that that he took your place on the cross that he paid the penalty for your sin, a penalty that you could never pay, and that he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and that he was raised to life on the third day, if you'll simply say, yes, Lord, I believe that, then Jesus can make all the difference in your life too. This world offers no hope for you. The only hope for you and for me and all of us is in Jesus. Isaiah tells us this of Jesus. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
So trust this morning in the one who died on the cross for you, the one who was beaten and mocked and rejected, the one who gladly bore your sin and your shame on the cross for you. Confess your sin to him. Turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus and receive the healing that your soul so very much longs for. By his wounds we are healed. The only cure for our sin, the only cure for the pain that it causes is the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Twisted, beaten, bloodied, and naked, Jesus hung there for your sin and for my sin for the offenses that we committed against God. And so all at once, you must forsake and turn away from your sin and turn to and embrace Jesus as your Savior and he can make all the difference in your life. If you allow your sin to continue on without being dealt with in your life, then you too will wind up hopeless and full of despair like most of the world. But Jesus will do for you what he did for this precious woman. You see, the law required her to say, I'm unclean because of her disease. But God's grace through Jesus enabled her to say, I'm healed. I'm healed. You see, we've been told that all we need is, is more money, maybe more education, maybe some self-help, and all of our problems will vanish. And there are a lot of good things that self-help can do for you. There are a lot of things, you, self-improvement, that you can work on. But salvation isn't one of them. Salvation isn't one of them. The Bible says that you are dead in your sin. You see, you don't need help. You need to be made alive. And only Jesus can do that. You may think that you can live apart from God, but you can't. If your idea of, of living is just to, to make yourself comfortable and to have the least amount of stress in your life, then you're not truly living. You're just breathing to death. True life is found only in a relationship with the creator of life, Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 10.10. He says, I come to give you life and life more abundant. The abundance of physical things in this life will never give you the satisfaction that your soul craves. That's not true abundance. It's materials. It's the abundance that Jesus offers a spiritual abundance, an abundance of spiritual blessings which we find in the grace and the mercy and the peace that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is true abundance. That's truly living. That's the life that Jesus wants us to live, not the counterfeit abundance of things that this world has to offer. The woman in this story was healed immediately as she reached out to Jesus in faith. She professed her faith and reached out, and she was healed. And you can experience that same spiritual healing that she experienced and have the immediate relief of a weight of years of sin and shame and hopelessness lifted from you this morning if you'll simply trust in Jesus like the woman in the story did. Jesus made all the difference in her life and he can make all the difference in yours as well. And finally, I want us to look at the, the final point to our story this morning. It's this. Our humble confession 
is always met with his endearing grace. Our humble confession is always, always met with his endearing grace. Look again, picking up in verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This woman was called to account by Jesus when he said, Who touched me? And it wasn't so he could scorn her for touching him, which, by the way, was risking making Jesus unclean, but instead the absolute opposite happened and Jesus made her clean. And that's what happens. We can't make God unclean with the the sinful mess of our lives, but when we reach out to him, instead he makes us clean. And that's 